Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So in ancient times, there were two great generals, uh, one named Cyrus. You, of course, you know who he is. He's the noted emperor of Persia. And then there was a, na- a man named Kegilor, who was not well known, but he was a chieftain in the southern province, and he repelled Cyrus's attacks continually. So Calgular's troops would just rout the Persian armies as they would come down to take, uh, as Cyrus would try to attempt to expand his borders and all, and Calgular's troops would just rout them. Finally, Cyrus is so upset with, you know, continually being toppled by this small uh, little insurgent uh, army, Calgular. Uh, he, he came down and with a massive army and surrounded Kegular, captured him, and then brought him back uh, to face his charges, uh, put him on trial, and then to execute him. On the day of his trial, Kegular and his family were brought before uh, the judgment chamber. This, the chieftain uh, was six feet tall with the appearance of a nobleman, and uh, you know when he entered the room, Cyrus marveled. He was impressed with his stature. So Cyrus said to Kegular, what, what would you do if I spared your life? And Kegular said to, uh, to Cyrus, he said, Your majesty, if you were to spare my life, I re- would return home and remain your obedient servant for as long as I live. Cyrus was impressed, so then he said, Well, let me ask you another question. What would you do if I spared the life of your wife? Kegilar, without missing a beat, said, I would die for you. I would give my life up for you. For the rest of my life, I would serve you unto death. Cyrus liked his answers. And so he freed Kegilar and his wife. And he appointed him the chieftain over the southern province there. And on his trip home, Kegilar, uh, enthused by what he had seen, asked his wife, did you notice the marble uh, entrance to the palace? Did you see the corridor in the throne room? Did you see the chair that, he, that, that the king sat on? It was made of one solid lump of gold. His wife, appreciating his, her husband's excitement, Uh, responded, I didn't notice any of that. He was shocked, and he said to her, well, what did you see? She looked at him in his eyes with all seriousness, and she says, I beheld the face of the man who said he would die for me. Kegular didn't just come up with that answer in the moment. This was something he had determined long before that question was asked. What would you do for the freedom of your wife? He was willing to die for her. He loved her. And love has no boundaries of service. Jesus is the greatest example that we have of such predetermination. That he decided long before the foundation of the world that he would serve his beloved unto death. Today we're going to wrap up our three-part sermon series entitled All In, Holding Nothing Back. And where we're picking it up, as you know, is about a month or two before Jesus goes to the cross. He knows what's waiting for him. He understands at this point that he's only got a, a month or two out, he knows that the time has come. He's, he's, he's set his face, as it were, like flint towards Jerusalem. He even made mention to his disciples here in Matthew chapter 20, the first few verses that we read, that he knew, he knew what he was in for. He knew that he was going to Jerusalem and he knew what to expect when he got there. That he was going to be beaten and tormented. He was going to be turned over to the, uh, to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. But on the third day, he would rise again from the dead. Jesus knew the suffering that was coming, but he saw the victory also. He knew what to expect when he was headed to Jerusalem. And here's, what, here's the amazing thing is, 
he was prepared to give up his life for you and I. Jesus was fully prepared uh, to give himself up for the sake of others. Who was he focused on? Not himself. He was 100% focused on others. Now, his disciples, on the other hand, who were they focused on? They were focused on themselves. We see that in our storyline. We've been talking about that. They were just wondering where they fit in the picture of the kingdom and what their title would be and what their, you know, we see that in, in our day and age too. People worried about their position and where they will be. Hey, if you get into heaven, you're lucky, amen? Praise God, right? It doesn't matter if I'm the pot banger in heaven. That's good enough for me. I'm glad I'm getting there. But God has so much more. His disciples were self-focused. Not only his disciples, but the multitude that Jesus continued to serve tirelessly, giving himself over to them, serving them, teaching them. Uh, you know, they too were focused on themselves. The only thing they cared about is what can Jesus, what can Jesus give me today? That's what they came out for. They didn't show up because they were there to worship Jesus. They came out to show up to see what he could give them. And then we have a third group of people who are present in this time, who are constantly on Jesus' tracks. It's the religious leaders. They, too, are, guess what, focused on themselves. Jesus is taking our thunder. He's taking the authority. He's speaking in such a way that people are being drawn to him, and they're taking away the clout from us. We don't like that, so let's kill him. That's how they feel about it. Everybody is self-focused in this story except Jesus. Jesus is the only one that's focused on other people. That is the reality of the fallen condition, folks. Our default is self. Our default is to focus on us. You know, when it all boils down to whatever it is that comes down, we're going to protect who? Numero uno, right? We're going to protect ourselves. Unless, of course, we have the heart of Jesus. And we're not going to be worried about ourselves. We're going to be worried about others. There is a complete different mindset when it comes to the mind of Christ and the mind of even a regenerated Christian who is off mission. Somebody who's still living for themselves, but they, they've experienced that regeneration. They've been born again, and the sins have been, their sins have been forgiven and all these kinds of things, but they just got off track, you know? It happens. Jesus' disciples it happened to, but man, does things change when he rises again from the dead. Now, all of a sudden, his, his disciples are on mission, and they stay on mission to the point of death. That's the kind of followers Jesus is expecting. That's what he wants. Yeah, that was 2,000 years ago, but nothing's changed. He has the same call when he said to his disciples, you know, Peter and John and, and Andrew and James, when they were on the banks of the shore, and Jesus said, follow me, leave your nets, and follow me. He was asking them to leave everything behind and, and give their lives up to him. And that's the same call he has for us. He never, ever asked somebody to give half of themselves to him. He wants all. Uh, Jesus understood that he was here for one reason and one reason alone, and that is to give his life a ransom for many. That's why he came. Jesus was sent on mission by the Father. We've been talking about this idea of Jesus being a servant, that the Father had the plan and Jesus surrendered to that plan. He submitted himself to that plan. He was subservient when he came to earth. He didn't do his will. He did the will of the Father. Isaiah declares in Isaiah 53, 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. From the foundation of the world, Jesus said, I will be that person. I'll go, I'll go for that. I'll go for the sins of the world. God, obviously, in his foreknowledge, understanding what's going to happen, that's why he predetermined this from the foundation of the world that Jesus would come and he would be crucified for us. Jesus was willing to do that because somebody has to make atonement. Why not our creator? 
Why not the one that spoke us into existence, to spoke everything into existence? Uh, Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Jesus did that. And Jesus said, I'll be the one to give my life a ransom for many. I will trade their filthy rags for my righteousness. I'll give them what they can't gain any other way. It was predetermined for Jesus to die for his beloved uh, from day one. And he understood that, and he didn't cower from it when it came. He didn't, he didn't look for another, he didn't, he didn't try and, you know, shirk his responsibility in that moment. He surrendered like a servant. And he served his father by giving himself up. And he served us as well. He served us to death. Jesus wasn't about his own agenda. Jesus was about the Father's agenda. That's what Paul was talking about last week when we looked at Philippians chapter 2 and it says that Jesus, although he was equal with God, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? It's like mind-blowing idea. But he came in the form of a man to become a servant. He came in the likeness of man as a servant, even unto death, to the point of death. Man. Jesus became a servant when he was born. We looked at that word last week. It's doulos in the Greek. It literally means a slave, one who is in a permanent relationship of servitude to another. His will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. Jesus was a doulos. You read any of the, uh, you know, 13 or 14 letters that Paul wrote, and he says many, many times, I am a doulos. I'm a bondservant of Christ. I surrendered myself. I have committed to servitude to the will of the Father, whatever that might, might be. That was a willing, uh, to be a bondservant is a willing servant. It's a willing slave. You're, you give yourself over to the, to the servitude of another. It comes from Exodus chapter 21, uh, in verses 1 through 5. Let me read that for you. It says, Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then, he, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall uh, be with her master's, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. This is a lifelong commitment. You gotta wonder... The guy that came in there, got, he got a wife from the master and he had children with the master and he's looking at them. He's looking at his freedom. He's looking, at, she better look, no, I'm just kidding. But hey, he willingly gave his life up for his family. He willingly gave up his life for his family. Now, you know, of course, uh, I wonder if even under a, a wicked master, if a guy wouldn't do that because of the love for his family. Not even necessarily because he thinks his master is great, but nevertheless, you know, the idea is that's what Paul became. He willingly gave himself up to serve his master, who is the Lord. And do you know that's what we've done? We could all say that we're doulosses. You can start calling yourself, hey, doulos, hey, doulos. You know, you guys can tell yourself, hey, I'm a servant. I'm a bondservant of Christ. You can call yourself a slave. Whatever you want, because that is the truth. You are in Christ. In Christ, that is the reality of who we are. And if that's the case, then we should, we should be the kind of doulos that Jesus was. Jesus never shirked his responsibilities. Check this out. Uh, over and over uh, it, again, it speaks about the predetermined role of Jesus as a doulos. Isaiah 42, 1 says, Behold, my servant, uh, uh, whom, I, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Isaiah 52, 13, Behold, my servant, 
shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. That's Jesus. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave in its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. Remember who the rock was? In, and it wasn't the rock that you know of. You know, the rock, not that rock. The, the rock in the Old Testament, Jesus, that followed uh, the Exodus, you know, in the Exodus time when they were, the children of Israel were leaving Egypt. And the rock was a picture of Jesus, and he was struck once, but Moses did it twice. So he didn't get to go into the promised land. That's who he's talking about, the rock. The rock is Jesus. And he says, in a, he will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. That day was 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on the cross. And then when that happens, he says, in that day, verse 10, declares the Lord of hosts, Every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. The idea is that we're going to celebrate. We're going to gather together and celebrate because the Messiah has come and he has taken away the sins of the nation. That's what, he's, that's what Zechariah is prophesying here. It's going to come through the branch. Didn't Jesus say, I am the what? The branch. And you are the, you're the, you're, you're the limbs, Right? He's the vine. We're, we come from him. So it, it, the, he's the servant. N next we find Acts chapter 3, verse 28, 26. God having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. God rose up Jesus. Not only for, for us to understand the victory that we have in him, but also so that we could turn from our wickedness and, uh, and understand the freedom that we've found in him, in him alone. So you get the point. Jesus is the servant of the Father, and because he's willingly surrendered to the Father's plan, then he, he's not about his own agenda. Jesus said that a couple times. John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own, but, my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And again, in John chapter 6, verse 38, this is a phenomenal verse. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is, this is such an, an amazing verse because, number one, look what it says. It talks about the preexistence of Christ here. It says he came down from heaven. That's where he came from. He didn't, he didn't come like you and I through the womb in the same way. He came from heaven, then through the womb, and then into the world Jesus, not only preexistent, his residence was in heaven, but then he came down, listen, to do the will of the Father. He already, he had the mission from day one. That's what Paul was saying in Philippians chapter two. And so as Jesus is talking to his disciples here in, in Matthew chapter 20, in verse 28, he tells them what his mission is. He said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus was a servant on mission and he followed his mission to completion. Jesus did, in fact, give his life a ransom for many, just like the Father asked him to do, because that's what servants do. Servants do what the Father asked them to do. Servants do what their master asked them to do. But this requires a certain heart. It requires a certain heart. It requires a servant's heart, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. There are four characteristics out of this last last. Um, phrase of Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, uh, that he came to give his life a ransom for many. We're going to look at that, but there's four specific characteristics that I want to show you from those uh, words that relate to the heart of Jesus as a servant. And the first thing that we notice here is that Jesus came to give. Servants give. It's interesting that one of the most admirable things about Jesus is that he didn't come to get anything. Like he, didn't come to, he didn't come to serve himself in any way, shape, or form. He came to give, totally. Give of himself. Everything that he had, he came to give. That's the heart of a servant. They don't do things because they get things. They do things because they're givers. Jesus came to give. That was the plan. And shouldn't his followers be the same? 
shouldn't we also too follow him in the same way and be the kind of servant that he is that we would also be givers as Jesus is a giver? We'll see how that relates to his disciples here in a second when he talks about us, you know, how we should serve and we should be serving to the point where we're giving, not necessarily because we're getting. Some of you might be here today and you might be like, man, I'm, I am, I wish I could, I wish I could give, but I'm shot. You know, I, I, I'm nothing left to give. I'm completely exhausted and that might be the case for you this morning. But let me ask you a question. Why? Why is that? Could it be misallocation of time, energy, or resources? Could it be because we spend too much time worrying about things? Could, there could be a gazillion reasons why, but they could all be also very sinful things, right? Because we're, we're, we're not, we don't have our mindset correct. We're not following the Lord like, like we ought to. And this can happen even with people in full-time ministry. It doesn't even have to be uh, you know, outside of the church. Man, there are plenty of ministry people that get burned out. How do you get burned out serving Jesus? I'll tell you, you can. <laughs> you can very easily because serving people is hard. There is no easy day in ministry, folks. It's difficult. You die to yourself. Ask Pastor Mike. He does it every day, all week long, dies to himself. People come in, and, and you, you avail yourself to them. You're not here for yourself. You're here for other people. You're here to serve. That's what Jesus came to, to, to be, and that's what we're called to be, to be givers in that way. But, man, it can be tough at times. Even when you're doing the right things, it can be tough at times. So what do we do? How do we... How do we handle that? We Guess what? We, you got to dig deep sometimes, don't you? Jesus told his disciples in a moment when they're supposed to be resting, hey, dig deep. Dig deep, get over yourself, and, and be a servant. Check this out. It's in Mark chapter 6. Turn with me there real quick. Mark chapter 6. And as you're doing that, I want to explain something. The reason why Jesus was so, uh, gave such an urgency to serving his disciples, telling them over and over again to, get, to give themselves over to the ministry and to the things is because your ministry and their ministry has an expiration date. Your ministry and their ministry has an expiration date. You don't get to do this life forever. You only get to do it for whatever a period of time is apportioned to you. And so, you know, you're a steward of that time. And what are you going to do with it? What, 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 how are you going to allocate your time to the Lord, you know? And uh, how are you going to uh, serve others in the time frame that you were allotted? And here's the thing is, none of us know. What I can tell you is our life is like a vapor because the Bible says that. The Bible tells us that, sh we, we, you know, we, we have a very short time on this planet. Jesus started his ministry at probably age 30, and he went gangbusters for three years straight, folks. Everything that he had, everything that he had. He went to bed in the wee hours of the night, and he got up in the wee hours of the morning. Jesus never hardly slept, it seems, in Scripture. Seems like he was serving people for three years straight because he knew his time was short. He knew there was an expiration on his life. And, of course, we don't want to think like that, but it happens. The last conversation I had with Chris Myers was right here the Sunday before they went to California, and she was beaming with just her, she told me her testimony about how God had radically grabbed a hold of her life through the machine gun preacher. She's like, hey, do you let people come in here and speak? I'd love to have you have the machine gun preacher. And I said, as long as he doesn't bring his machine gun, we're good. We'll see if we can get him in here. But it was an awesome conversation. And I'm so glad that I got to have that conversation with her in, in, just for a moment. She was so on fire for the Lord, man. And guess what? Her expiration date came up. And now she's in heaven with the Lord. And she can't serve Jesus here anymore. She can't do it. So there's a, there's a time frame on you, you know, and, and we're stewards of that time frame. Jesus, uh, talking to his disciples, the, the scenario is that they just, he sent the, the two by two out. They're just now coming back, picking it up in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. 
For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure to even eat. And they went away to the boat to a desolate place for themselves. So Jesus recognizes these are human beings. Did Jesus recognize you're a human being? I think he does. He created you. He probably knows you're a human being. He probably knows you have limits, right, on how much you can take. He sets, he says, listen, there's limits to these guys, and here's what they can afford. Jesus, I think, he was human too, but he, he, his limits were probably different because he had a bigger picture understanding. But here's the reality of it is that his disciples were tired. They were doing so much ministry that they didn't even have time to eat. And so Jesus, recognizing that, he's like, hey, let's come away. Uh, let's pull away for a second, and let's... Uh, Let's get some to a desert place and let's get some rest for, for, for just a period of time. So he puts his, puts his disciples in a boat and, um, and look what happens in verse 33. Now, many saw them going and recognized them and they, they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. The people... I got the idea. I've been to Israel. Have you been to Israel? Uh, you know, and you look at the, like the, the Sea of Galilee, and you think, like, that's not, it's not that big, really. But you think about it. When, they, when they're crossing these, oh, it's like, you know, the crowd's where they were, and they run around, and they beat them there. You know, it's like that. It's obviously not huge. So this crowd meets them at the shoreline where they're going to a desolate place, but it's not desolate anymore because people show up. And uh, here's what it says, and they had compassion. No, it doesn't. It says, and he had compassion on them. Not they, and he. Wait a second, isn't Jesus with his disciples? Yeah, but they didn't have compassion on them. Jesus did. He, this is an important thing. His disciples are ready for rest. They're ready for a desolate place. They show up and they're like, what are these guys doing here? Why are they here, Jesus? And it says that Jesus had compassion on them. Literally, that word compassion is the idea of like he hurt in his stomach for them. Why did he hurt in his stomach for Why did he have compassion on them? Because it says, it goes on to say, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. You know, Jesus kept his eye on others. Jesus looked at others and he said, man, they are lost. Man, they are lost. And that bothers me to a point that even though I'm coming to a desolate place to seek rest, I'm going to minister in this moment because that's more important. But not his disciples. His disciples are like, shoo, get away. I want, to, I want to relax now. I want to, I want to have this, uh, this time alone with Jesus. Jesus begins to teach them the word. He teaches them the word of God. Why? Because the word of God is what's going to change their life. And he, he begins to teach them. All the while, I can imagine what his disciples are thinking. Come on, Jesus, will you hurry up? Come on. It's like Pastor Tim when it's 12, 15, and you're like, come on, man, hurry up. We got a lunch to go to. You know, hurry up, man. Listen to what happens here in verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Hello, Captain Obvious. Like, we already know we're at a desolate place. We know that it's late, but Jesus is teaching and they're, in my mind, again, this is my, this is my story, this is my idea of this. They're like, hey, Jesus, uh, Jesus, I know, you know, they're giving them the big hand in the back, you know, the, 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 some, some pastors have like signs that the sound people hold up when you're going too long, you know, it's the big red sign, it's like, stop, Jesus, stop, it's time for them to go away. That's the idea. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and the villages to buy some, um, themselves something to eat. Now, you can, you can think the best of human beings in this moment, and you can think that they genuinely care about them. Like they're saying, it's getting late, Jesus, and these guys are in a desolate place, and we don't have much to feed them with, so have some compassion on them and let them go. I don't think that's what they're thinking. I'm thinking they're thinking like, hey, Jesus, I want, I want some rest, so let's get on with it. Send them away, would you? 
They're being, I think they're being selfish and they, they don't have the servant's heart in this moment. In a, a servant's heart, you dig deep when it counts, when it matters. You know, you, you, when somebody shows up at your doorstep and they say, hey, th- this situation is going on in my life, you know, you get, a, you get to make a choice. Am I going to serve them? Am I going to die to myself and serve them? Or are I going to be like, yeah, I don't know, man. I got dinner plans, so see you later. It probably depends on what's happening, right? And that's why it's so important that you stay in tune with the Spirit of God. Because there may be moments where God cancels your plans. Because he has something different that he wants to do. If we're not walking in the Spirit, we'll never know that. We'll never experience that. We'll never see that. But guess what? If we are... I promise you he'll cancel your plans. He will. He changes your direction sometimes because he wants to do things. And he wants to use us in that way. He, his disciples want him, and here's what, here's what they say to him. Uh, they say, okay, Jesus answers them in verse 37. You give them something to eat. Now you give. You give. And they're thinking, like, how am I supposed to give? Well, okay, Jesus, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and Give it to them to eat. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they, they said five and two fish. I can imagine. This is what we got, Jesus. Give me a break. Five and two fish. You going to send them away now? Do they not know who they're talking to? This is the same guy that raised people from the dead. This is the same guy that turned one barrel of wine into enough for the whole, you know, wedding party. This guy does miracles. And that's all we got, Jesus. So oftentimes we're focused on what we don't have, and Jesus is saying, I can take what you have and I can multiply that. I don't have it in me, Jesus. Well, guess what? I can multiply the little that you do have in you. I don't have enough, Jesus. Well, guess what? I can take the little and I can do a lot with it. Are you going to trust me, not necessarily in your abundance, but in your want? Are you going to trust me when you have little? Don't think that just a little bit's not enough. Because he can do amazing things with just a little. And he does here. He takes five loaves of bread and two fish and he feeds 5,000 people. He tells them to sit down. Uh, verse 39, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by the hundreds and by fifties. And, they, um, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set out before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So Jesus took the little that they had and he was able to multiply it to such a degree that, listen, they had way more than five loaves and two fish left over. After it says that people ate till they were satisfied, that means they ate till they were full, not until the hunger pains went away, but until they were, the, they were completely stuffed. Do you believe that? I mean, the world would tell you that's ridiculous, right? The world would tell you like, man, come on. Talking donkeys, you know, multiplying bread and fish. Do you believe it? I'm asking you a question. Do you believe it? Of course you believe it. Why? Because it's in the word of God. Haven't you seen God do amazing things in your life? I mean, he doesn't just say, hey, just trust me and believe me, and and then he does nothing in your life, right? No, he does amazing things in your life, not because he's trying to confirm to you that he is who he is, by the way, but, he's, but he is trying to increase your faith. He is trying to help you to take notice of who he is. He's an amazing God, and he could do anything. You know, I, I, are you trusting him in that way this morning? Like, are you really believing this morning, a guy comes up to me this morning, his back's all jacked up. He's like, well, hey, you wanna, will you pray for me that my, my back will be healed? And I'm like, Lord, we know you're not going to do this, but we're just praying right now. I didn't say that. But sometimes we're thinking that when we're laying hands on people, aren't we? I don't know, God. This is pretty big. Here's the thing. Take him at his word. Trust him. 
You take two, two fish and five loaves and feed 5,000 people with plenty extra left over? Yeah, I don't know what problem you have, but it's probably not in comparison to what he could do. If he could do that, he could do that, whatever it is you're dealing with, easily, right? He can do these things. But you have to let him. You have to be willing to do, to do that. Now, his disciples... You can imagine what they're thinking when they're picking up all of the baskets full. Like, wow. Were they like, how amazing you are, Lord, and all these kind of things. I'm so glad that you rebuked us in this way. No, you know what? Here's what happens. Jesus tells them, get in the boat. Like, get in the boat. Are you, like, you're telling your kids, like, you get in the car right now. You embarrass me, and then you get in there. And when you get, do you guys know, you know, I hope you're not doing that. I've only done that a couple times. Good thing my kids are older. But he, it's like he says, get in the boat. Now check this out. What happens? You can read it later. I'm just going to fast forward for you. They get in the boat. Jesus stays on the shore. He begins to pray for these, these, <laughs> these selfish disciples of his that God would soften their hearts, and guess what? He sends them into a trial on purpose. You got a hard heart? Let me massage it a little bit for you. They get out in the middle of, of, of the water, and the water starts to rise up, and it's, it's tumultuous and everything, and, and they're afraid. They're thinking, like, what in the heck is going on? And Jesus comes, and he's walking on the water, in the middle of the night, and his disciples are freaking out. And they're thinking, like, what is going on here? God, God does discipline his children. This was a discipline, I, I believe, of the Lord. Uh, because they, he was trying to help them understand the hardness of their hearts. Like, you wanted to just send these people away, and I saw them totally differently than you did. These are lost people that are walking around like sheep who have no shepherd. And you're just like, move along, nothing to see here. You know, and how easily we can have that heart. How easily we can go into a broken world and become so jaded by the things that we see and hear and experience and all of these kind of things that we're just like, I'm just passing through and you're totally focused on yourself and you don't care about the lost people that are all around you creating havoc for you because you're too focused on yourself to see it. And that's what the deal was here. You pick up, you pick up 12 baskets full of stuff and you bring it in and, 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 and you're still, God has done amazing things in your life and you're still, it's so easy to slip into that mentality, isn't it? So easy to do. And thankfully, God chastens whom, whom he loves. He brings things into our path to remind us, oh, man, Lord, what am I doing? I'm so sorry, Lord. Help me to, help me to do that. And the Lord, of, of course, he brings peace to them, you know, and he'll, he brings peace to our lives as well as we seek him. But, but, he, but I think they maybe got the point. There's a time when you got to dig deep and serve other people and it's not on your time frame. Remember, you're a doulos. You're a servant of the Lord. And the Lord calls upon you when he needs you. He calls upon you in moments when you probably are not expecting it. Like, man, I got to get here and I'm going. And the Lord says, hold on, I want you to stop right there. And I want you to go talk to that person. Lord, you know I ain't got time for this. I got to get over there. Wait a second, who's in control here? Who, who's doing what here? Who do you serve? Oh, yourself? Okay, well, go ahead and get on with your plans then. That's what he says to us, kind of. You know, it's just, it's just amazing that Jesus would stop what he was doing because the Father instructed him to. This wasn't his orchestration. This was part of the plan. Part of the plan to show his disciples, to minister to these people all in one. Man, Jesus came to give. He was all about giving all the time. And he never made his life about himself. He also came, uh, secondly, he came to give what? His life. This is an all-in mentality, total sacrifice. Jesus was willing to give up his own life. 
Isaiah 53, 5 says that, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. He gave his life. For what? For you and I, for our sins, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have peace and so that we could be healed. He goes on to say, he saw them as a sheep without a shepherd, and he saw you as a sheep without a shepherd as well. I mean, guess what? He's the good shepherd, isn't he? Uh, he tells us in John chapter 10, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's willing to give up his life for his sheep. Sheep are defenseless. They're, they, what, are they going to hoof somebody to death? No, they can't do anything. You're going to bite them? No. They, they are scared. They run. And that's why they're so easily picked off. They're defenseless. And the Lord is saying, that's you guys. You're defenseless against what you face. You don't understand the, the, the battle that you're in. There's ravenous wolves. The, 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 the enemy is like a roaring lion. He pounces on you, devours you. But the Lord says, I'm your good shepherd and I'll protect you. Come under my fold and stay under my fold. He's a good shepherd, man. But he's, and, he, and that's why he's willing to lay down his life. He laid down his life because his sheep need atonement. That's why. That's why he did it. He gave his life up for that. Paul said in Romans 4.25 that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He died for our sins and he rose again from the dead for our justification so that we can be right with God. It's our victory. In the, in the, the, the penalty is paid in the atonement of, his, of our sins by his death. And then the gateway is opened up in the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And through that process, we are justified by what? Romans 5.1, by faith. By faith alone. Not by anything we can do. Jesus isn't waiting for you to get dressed up in your three-piece suit to come into church and be like, okay, Jesus, I'm all cleaned up. I'm ready for you. He said, I want you to come in with all your baggage, actually. I want you to come in real. I don't want you to come in fake. I want you to come in real, and I want you to lay all your baggage out at my feet, and I will cleanse you. That's what I came for. How silly is it? That you want to pretend like you're a better version of yourself when I know that I came to, to strip all that away so that you can be real so that we can do real business. Because real business is, Jesus, I need a savior. And you're the savior. And so I'm looking to you. Paul said Jesus was delivered up for that. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. So Peter tells us not only uh, did Jesus die for our sins, and because he died for our sins, then we also ought to die to sin. Jesus died for our sins, so we should die to sin, and we should live to righteousness. That means we're careful about the way that we live. We have the power through the Holy Spirit uh, to walk the path that God calls us to, you know, in regeneration, when you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you have the power then to obey Christ. Now, we're not looking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit when it comes to uh, living out the commands of Christ. We look for the baptism of the Holy Spirit when we're being a witness for Christ. That's a different. But in terms of the call to walk the path that Christ laid for us, that's in you to do through the Holy Spirit. And you have that power already. Uh, Peter is saying, man, you, you, you got to die to sin and live to righteousness. It's a call to die. Not only to sin and to live for righteousness, but also a call to die for others. Look at what 1 John 3.16 says. For by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now, we know that we can't make atonement for other people. Wouldn't it just be simple? Oh, no, it wouldn't be because if they're not going to follow Jesus, they're not going to follow you. Pretty sure. But, but, but the, the heart behind this, the heart behind the saying, I'm willing to be a sacrifice for you, God, for the sake of other people because I love other people. And I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, my heart, even though I'm saved, listen, you're saved, you know you're going to heaven, but how many people around you are unsaved and you know they're going to hell? And God says we should care about that. That should bother us. Like if you lose zero sleep over uh, even people under your own roof who don't know the Lord, 
that's probably a problem. It's probably a problem. You probably should ask the Lord, how come I don't care about that, Lord? I'm not saying you should stay up all night worrying about it either. I'm just saying it should be something that should concern us. And, and so much so that, that, you know, John says that we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's a giving mentality. That's a sacrificial mentality. I don't think we think about this much, but here's the reality of it is, is that's why we're here because people did that. That's why we're here today. That's why we have this thing right here is because people did that. You know, let me give you some examples. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Here's a few examples from that. Peter, Andrew, Bartholomew, Simon the Zealot, Philip, and Jude, the brother of Jesus, all crucified for the sake of the gospel. Paul and James the Greater, beheaded for the sake of the gospel. Thomas and Matthew, killed by the spear for the sake of the gospel. Luke was hanged for the sake of the gospel. Stephen and Matthias were stoned to death for the sake of the gospel. Uh, you know, James the less and Timothy were both clubbed to death for the sake of the gospel. Thaddeus was sawed in half for the sake of the gospel. Mark was dragged to death for the sake of the gospel for you and I. For the sake of the gospel for you and I. So that we could have preserve, the preserved gospel. That's why we're entrusted with something that we're supposed to preserve. We're entrusted with the, with the, with the words that bring life. We're entrusted with these things so that we could give them back. That's what Jesus meant when he said in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, if anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. All-in mentality, totally sacrificial, not living for self, but living for other people, living for the Lord, but also living for others. This brings us to the third characteristic of a servant heart, and that is a ransomed heart. Jesus paid the debt that we owe. Now, I don't know about you, but there's no uh, greater words than paid in full, right? Paid in full. I went to the bank one time, and I had to pay a loan payment. It was my last payment, and I put the payment up there, and the lady starts to do her teller thing, you know, and she's like, oh, oh. Oh, well, hey, congratulations. This is your last payment. You are free. And I'm like, I am? Oh, man, that's so great. And it was kind of like a big deal. You know, they made it a big deal anyway. I thought it was a kind of a big deal. I didn't think that she'd be as excited as I was because it was my life and my money. So, but, but yeah, she was making a big deal about it. And it is kind of a big deal. But we, you know what would even make it a bigger deal? If I went in to pay the last payment and somebody else had already paid for it. That would be even greater. Like, that would be a, a greater deal. It'd be like, whoa, hey, uh, you know, Mr. Romero, that's what they call me. Mr. Romero, uh, hey, you're, someone else has paid your payment. You don't owe anything. And I'd be like, what? That doesn't seem right. It seems like I should have to pay for that because that's the way our world operates, and I should probably have to uh, do something for that. And yet, she says, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. You're crazy, leave, because we're going to call the police because somebody already paid your bill, okay? Here's the thing, that happened for you. That happened for you. Jesus did that for you. When you came to him by faith, justified by faith, you come to him by faith believing in what he's done, the judicial court comes out, your filing cabinets are pulled out, all your debts are brought before the court and the Lord is saying, oh man, that's a lot. Are you sure you want to pay for this, Jesus? I got it. No problem. I pay for it. And when that, that then all of a sudden the gavel in heaven comes down, your paper is stamped, paid in full. Paid in full, justified by Christ. By faith through grace in him alone. He did that for you. Uh, that, uh, that's what a ransom is. It's a, a means or an instrument by which release or deliverance is made possible. Jesus came to give his life a ransom. He gave his life for you and I. And, and, and the reason Jesus would do that is because he understood the difference between temporal and eternity. Temporal and eternity. Jesus said, oh, what is it going to cost me? It's going to cost you your life. How many years is that? 33 human being years. 33 human being years. How many, how many years is that in heaven? Like 0.00 what? 
okay, I'll do that. That's temporary. I'll pay that price. But Jesus, they're going to mock you. They're going to flog you. They're going to beat you. They're going to crucify you. How long is that going to last? I don't know, maybe 12 hours or so. That's nothing. I'll take that. I'll take that penalty. But Jesus, you're going to have to lay in a tomb for three days. But on the third day, you'll rise again from the dead, and it'll be over. That's it? No problem. I'll pay the price. Why? Because he had eternity in mind. You know, his 33 years of life isn't even a sliver in eternity, folks. It's nothing. It's nothing, and we focus so much on the little little bit of life that we have that we forget about the big life coming, the eternity that's forever and ever, that has no end. And that's why Jesus said, you need to be thinking about that place and not so much about this place. Make this place your workplace so that in that place you can enjoy the treasures that you've stored up. That's the focus. Jesus said, of course I'll pay the ransom. This is nothing. He gave his life up a ransom for many. And Jesus, Paul said the same thing kind of in, in a different way. He said in Romans chapter 9, 3, he said he wished that he, I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to flesh. Now this is interesting. G, Paul is saying I'm willing to go to hell for other people. I'm willing to give up my life and spend eternity in hell for other people. Wow. Wow, this is the heart of a servant. This is somebody who understands the temporal and the eternal. Like, there's so many people going to hell right now. They, don't, they probably don't even think about it, you know, but shouldn't we be thinking about that? That's kind of in our wheelhouse. It's what our life is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about helping others understand that, recognize. And I'm so glad that there were Christians in my life that were focused on the gospel, that continually seeded the gospel because it wasn't in an altar call that I came to Christ. It wasn't in a conversation with an overzealous Christian that I came to Christ. I came to Christ in my bedroom at 12 o'clock at night when nobody was around because that's when you think about things like this. And guess what? Somebody had taken the time to sow the seeds of the gospel in my life. They loved me enough to tell me the truth and I came to Christ as a result of that. Servant's heart is... Not only a ransomed heart, but it's also an inclusive heart. Jesus didn't just come for some people. He came for all people. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, men and the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus paid not just for some people, but all people, It wasn't an exclusive purchase, but an inclusive purchase. John says it like this in 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation of our sins, and not only for our sins, not not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. There's not a single person that Jesus didn't make atonement for on the cross. So why aren't all people saved? Because that, that, uh, justification or that reconciliation with the Father only happens by faith. It's activated by faith, but it's there for everyone. That means that you can go into all the world and you can tell anybody about Jesus and you can include them in on the invitation to be forgiven of their sins and to spend eternity in heaven with God because Jesus paid for the sins of all. He's the propitiation. He's the satisfaction of our sins. He paid the price. That's the cup that he drank on the cross. And not only for the sins of the world, not only for the sins of all, but he paid for the sins of you personally. He's an inclusive God, and that inclusivity includes you personally. You might be like, yeah, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus knows what you've done, and he included you when he died on the cross. When Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, he was also, he was talking to the people there for sure. But he's also thinking about you. You were, the, you were the joy of Jesus that was set before him as he endured the cross, despised the shame. He died for you personally. He's an inclusive God. 
and it would be wrong for us to make him an exclusive God. Be wrong for us to exclude other people. Eh, you're not good enough for that. I want you to go out this week and find the worst person that you can find. Just judge them. Like you're just, you're the worst person that I know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Find somebody that doesn't deserve heaven, which is everybody, and tell them the gospel. Tell them the gospel. They deserve it. They deserve the seed, at least. They deserve to be sown. Tell somebody about Jesus, man. Jesus is an exclusive. I can imagine that he, he walked down the halls of uh, Jerusalem and everywhere he went that he, was, he would stop when the Father told him to stop and he would say what the Father told him to say and he would do what the Father told him to do. May we do the same. May we do the same. Listen, he, uh, we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. I quote this verse all the time, Ephesians 2.10, that he created beforehand that you should walk in. You don't have to figure the plan out. You just have to be faithful to walk it out. He'll show you. If you just tune your ear in to the Holy Spirit, he'll, he'll tell you who to talk to, when to talk to him, what to say to him, all those kinds of things. The only requirement is that you get over yourself and that you're willing to, to tell him. Sometimes that's the biggest battle, isn't it? Who's to focus on? Not them. Man, Lord, I'm gonna look like an idiot. Well, I mean, you know, you already do, so that's okay. Just do it. Just do it anyway, you know? Have that inclusive heart, man. Listen, to be all in for the Lord is to hold nothing back. Nothing back. To be about the Father's business. That's what Jesus came to do. That's what we're called to do. We, we need to... Uh, be willing to sacrifice for the sake of others, give generously, love deeply, to walk humbly. And, and that's how we will have the same heart that Jesus had. Next week, we're gonna begin our a study through the book of James in a series that I'm calling Everyday Living. So we're gonna talk about, you know, we talk about, you know, having faith and all these kinds of things, but I love the way that James explains it. Faith has feet. Faith has feet. Faith, faith without works is dead. You know, and works without faith is dead. There's a beautiful unity with works and faith that if you have genuine and true faith, you will have works. That's the reality of it. And so we're going to go into the book of James next, everyday living, and it's going to be an amazing study. But let's end with some prayer. Father, we thank you for this, this word through the book, uh, through Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Lord. Thank you for the mission, Jesus, that you came to, to, to not be served, but to serve and to give your life a ransom for many, Lord. We want to humble ourselves this morning and just ask that you would help us to have the same heart, the servant's heart that you had, that you surrendered yourself um, subservient to the Father and that we would surrender ourselves subservient to you, that we would be about your business, that we would not, uh, you know, forsake the call that you have on our lives, Lord, to be just little gospel-centric people that go into all the world and tell people about what you've done for us. What a treasure we, we have to be able to do. We get to share about the greatest message in the world that our sins can be forgiven, that we can be made right with our creator in heaven through the atonement of somebody else, that we can have stamped on our hearts and our lives paid in full. So we ask you this morning, Lord, as we close, that you would just draw our hearts to yourself and you would help us to, Lord, just respond to whatever it is that you would call us to respond to this morning. We pray for anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, that they can come to know you by praying a prayer of faith, turning away from their sin and turning to you this morning, God. Thank you that the gospel is inclusive and it includes me personally. If and I'm burdened with my sin, I can be washed clean even right now by confessing, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I turn away from my sin. I turn to you. I believe that you died on the cross and you rose again from the dead. Lord, if I can pray that prayer alone by myself, having to remember what other people told me, we know it's not about the words. It's about the heart and it's about the belief and putting all of our faith in you. So we ask you, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that they would turn their hearts to you and they would crown you king. 
believing that you died on the cross, you rose again from the dead for them. And so, Lord, just pour out your spirit in these last moments as we sing in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you, will you stand with us? Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.